one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. Welcome in to Red Sox Beat, everyone. Of course, this is Jared Scali, joined by Nathan Rollins. Two weeks in a row, Nate not being busy. This is great. Back to a normal schedule. Uh, before we get to that, just don't forget, after months of anticipation and hard work, Sionis Radio is proud to announce the release of our new mobile app. Uh, now you can enjoy all of our Boston sports podcasts all in one place on your phone, iPhone or Android. Just go to sionisradio.com backslash iOS free or backslash Android. Or, of course, do it the easy way and just go to the App Store or Google Play Store, and we're right on there as well. Um, that being said, Nate, how are you doing, this, my friend, this week? I'm great, Jared. How are you? I'm doing well. Good, nice to have you back on here two weeks in a row, getting back to a normal schedule. Um, not to say I didn't mind. I didn't like having Jess on. Jess was a great co-host, but Nate, Nate is the co-founder of myself with this, so it's great to have him back on. Uh, we are joined by uh, Jerry Carabas again. Second time he's been on. Great Red Sox knowledge. Um, this time, though, under a different title, he now writes for Barstool Sports. Uh, Jared, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing actually pretty good, all considering the fact that I just tortured myself by watching John Lester's press conference, which I, I just really wasn't ready for. I don't think any of us were ready for that, Jared. Um, yeah, I tortured myself as well to watch it. Um, before we get to that, because I want to get your thoughts on that as well, but just general... Um, First of all, Barstool treating you okay? I know El Perez can be a little nuts sometimes. But. Yeah, I mean, I, I got I got a little beat down in my first blog, but that's that's kind of you know comes with the territory. He throws in a little picture of you when you debut that isn't exactly uh, your most uh, shining <laughs> moment, which he threw a picture of me from 2008. So I kind of got a little flack for that. But other than that, the commenters have been really good. I'm I'm really surprised, pleasantly surprised. Good. Yeah, I, you could imagine. For those of you who don't read Barstool, it, it can get bad sometimes, but <laughs> but to say the least. But, um, yeah, so obviously congratulations on that. It's a big step forward for you in your writing career. Thank you very but, much. Um, I appreciate it. You're welcome. Uh, definitely definitely well-deserved, uh, for sure. Um, you said you tortured yourself watching the Leicester press conference. I did myself. It was hard to see him in a Cubs uniform. Um, I think it would have been harder if he didn't play for the A's at first, if it was just right from a Red Sox to a Cubs uniform. But, um just what were your uh, overall impressions of him today at the press conference? Uh, I mean, because in, in the last couple weeks, I want to say I've just been doing a lot of, um, I don't know, just kind of studying him in, in a way uh, from like a psychological perspective. You know, I was watching Dan Roach's interview with Lester, which was, I think it was in the spring of 2014. So it was right before the season started. And... Um, it just seemed like he was so set on coming back here, and his mindset was just, you know, just give me a fair offer and I'll sign it. And you could mm-hmm. tell he was saying a lot of things in that interview without directly saying them. Uh, for example, he didn't come out and say, yeah, the offer of four years, $70 million really, you know, hurt my feelings. But you could, when he was talking about it, he, he said it, I don't, I, this is paraphrasing, but he was sort of like, you know, what do you mean four years, 70? Like he was kind of, you know, just he was hurt by the fact that, you know, he interpreted that as the Red Sox don't really value him that much. And I would feel the same way if I were him. Um, and then I, I can't remember where I read it or if I heard it somewhere. Um, 
I think it was a quote from Lester himself who basically said, yeah, you know, it's no big deal. Like, I understand the business side of it. And if they want to trade me, then, yeah, like, I'll, like, there's definitely still a chance that I'll come back. I, I, I'm pretty sure that, paraphrasing again, like, that was a quote that he said, and it was in every paper. And this was. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he said that right when he got right, traded. Right. I think it was sometime in August yeah. where he said, yeah, you know, no hard feelings. I understand the business side of it, and I'll come back. And then today, during the press conference, he just flat out says, you know, yeah, it definitely had an impact on. Uh, me coming back, referencing the trade, basically mm-hmm. saying if they didn't trade me, there's a better chance that I would have come back. Um, and he kind of just talked about how, you know, playing for another team, whereas he had never known what that had felt like before. Um, you know, he proved to himself that he could do it, which obviously increased the odds of him playing for somebody else. So, you know, is at the end of the day, I just, I don't know, it seemed like a good idea at the time because the Red Sox were out of it and the way that he was talking about, yeah, you know, no hard feelings. That's what he said. He said, no hard feelings if they trade me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess, like, in, in hindsight, it's obviously, a, you know, a bad move. But at the time, I, I can't say that I blame the Red Sox for doing that. I mean, they were going nowhere and, you know, they wanted to get something for him and they were trying to blow the whole thing up. And, you know, I guess, you know, if you could go back in time knowing what you know now, obviously you don't do it, but you know, at the time I think that they made the right move. Yeah, I think at the time they believed they were gonna keep Cespedes here long term as well. Right. Yeah, I think that's another good point is that they thought that they could get that done, you know, and then he goes with Jay Z as his agent and, you know, things go south from there. And obviously the the report about Cespedes clashing with the coaching staff and how he didn't want to adapt to their philosophy of taking more pitches and be more of an on base guy. Um yeah, I guess, you know, it is kind of a, I don't want to call it a disaster, because Porcello is a, a very underrated, very good pitcher. Uh, but then again, you're only getting one year of him, too. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's a Boris client. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure he is. And and if he is, then you can almost guarantee that he's going to go to free agency. So, um, But yeah, I mean, obviously, it's just a really unfortunate situation. Um, we actually, we talked about this before we went on the air, but kind of what I noticed that I haven't I don't think anyone else really pointed out and if they did I didn't see it um I think he could sense Lester I'm talking about could sense that uh the questions were gonna you know start turning towards Red Sox stuff and you know the dirt stuff and that's when he called his son up to the podium to sit on his lap and I feel like that was almost like a shield to like the don't ask me these hard questions because right when he did that um no one really kind of dug on the, you know, Red Sox stuff. And mm-hmm. I feel like it was kind of, if you go back and watch it, it was right around when, like, Nick Cafardo would ask the question regarding, like, the Red Sox and his past. I think he kind of just wanted to keep it positive and keep it um, looking towards the future, which I don't blame him for. Uh, but there are a lot of questions that remain unanswered. But one of the biggest questions that was answered today was the fact, you know, someone just flat out said, hey, does, you know, getting traded last summer affect your decision and he said yes and that was that was kind of a, a real um realization moment for a lot of Red Sox fans I think yeah I think I think it hit especially me as a fan I think it hit too and you mentioned how he used his son as a shield obviously not on purpose but he kind of you could tell he kind of yeah. did and um I think the big thing is is that he did answer the Pedroia question because he was asked by I think I think Nick Cafaro asked him as well but I don't remember who it was who asked him had Pedroia reached out to you and had 
have you had any interaction with those guys? And he said, yeah, you can't imagine how many times I've talked to Pedroia. But then after that question, you didn't really get much from him in terms of Red Sox, except for, oh, obviously, I played I played in Boston, so I definitely can play here, that kind of stuff, joking with the media about how, how hard it is to play in Boston. Yeah, um, and I think that, you know, that just goes to show you how valuable, or I don't even know if that's the right word, but just what it means to be a member of the Red Sox for Pedroia and how kind of spoiled we are that we have a guy like that who, you know, his job doesn't just stop when he, he steps out between the white lines. You know, he's he's recruiting top free agents for us. You know what I mean? Like, that's just yep. a, the kind mm-hmm. of guy that on the free agent market would have, you know, I don't want to say doubled, but maybe close to doubled what he got <laughs> from the Red Sox, mm-hmm. um, especially looking at what Cano got. Um, Oof, yeah. I just think that, you know, Pedroia deserves to be, commended for much more than what he does on the field and you know it was kind of something that I don't think Red Sox fans really realize goes on you know I kind of think that you know we saw it a lot actually with the Napoli thing we didn't hear specific names but you could probably assume you know which guys are probably trying to recruit Napoli to to get a deal done but yeah I think that it was a really tight-knit group and you know it's sad to see that they're kind of disbanding right now. Yeah, it is. It's it's hard to see, especially where we saw the camaraderie together for 2013, and obviously Lester came up through the farm system, and the, their their relationship with Theo obviously helped him going to the Cubs. But um, contract wise, do you think? Obviously, I think he's getting overpaid. But do you think that if he wasn't traded, if he didn't feel disrespected, do you think he could be sitting here in a Red Sox uniform for around four years and like one one twenty? Uh, for four years, one twenty. Yeah, maybe five. Yeah, I think that it would have had to have been minimum five years. Um, yeah, I think more so you could just tell in his voice in that, that Dan Roach interview that I was talking about that, that, that 470 offer really hurt his feelings. I think it all starts right then and there. Um, I think that like he said, you know, if you start that low, it's really difficult to counter because you're going to have to come in at a figure that's just unrealistically high to meet in the middle. Um, so the fact that the Red Sox started that low was kind of just, you know, basically saying, like, we don't really think that much of you. Obviously, this isn't the case, but that's how it's interpreted. Yeah. You know, we don't think that much of you. And, it, you know, we, we started at a point that's so low that it's almost impossible to negotiate up from here. So, yeah, and I don't know. Does five one ten get it done? I don't know. Maybe. I think it gets it done had they not gone four seventy first, if that was you know their first offer, maybe. But even still, if they wanted to negotiate up from there, does five one twenty five get it done? Probably, you know. And then they get to the point where you know six one thirty five isn't even entertained. So I mean, it, it's all on them. And I was at Christmas at Fenway on Saturday, and there was a group of media that was talking to Larry Lucchino, and he owned it. He basically said. Um, Again, paraphrasing, but the general idea was, you know, we we failed. We deserve an F for our, you know, not bringing him back. We we did want him back. Um, it, it was just, it was refreshing to kind of have ownership or a member of ownership kind of own up and say, yeah, this is entirely our fault. And he said we deserve the criticism that we're getting, um, which you know you don't generally get from the Red Sox ownership when things like this go south. But I think that Lester was just a special case. I mean, Lester was the first draft pick made by this ownership group back in 2002. So I think that he he was special to them, and I don't really buy into the whole theory that 
like John Henry was going to meet with him in Atlanta just to, you know, for PR sake and, you know, saying, oh, at least we tried. I generally, I, I think that they did try. And I think that six years, 135, that's not a fake offer. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's pretty generous. And I think it's fair. But obviously, I, I don't blame Lester for taking the deal that he did. I don't blame him for feeling... um you know, slighted by the Red Sox. So at the end of the day, did the Red Sox mess up? Yes. Did they own it? Yes. Um, did Lester make the right call? Probably. Uh, and But, yeah, at the end of the day, fans deserve, have a right to be upset, and, and they are. Yeah, no, I think most fans are upset now. It's more, I think they're obviously more upset with ownership than Lester. I don't think you can really fault Lester for this. But uh, either way, he's pitching in a Cubs uniform. I just saw a tweet David Ortiz sent out saying, uh, joking that he said if you just – if you just wanted your my number, all you had to do is ask. Because Lester's wearing thirty four, I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> uh, it, sh- it shows the knit, uh, the tightness that these people uh, they had here while Lester was obviously pitching in a Red Sox uniform. Yep. So obviously there's plenty to miss here, and obviously the Red Sox are going to miss them. But they they also made moves to the winter meetings. And I don't want to get stuck on the Lester here thing with you, Jared. So I want to ask you: we, we brought brought up Cespedes before. Um, what do you think of? Obviously, I'll get to all three of the pitchers that we got back. But what do you think of? Uh, this is the Cespedes deal for Porcello. Um, personally, and I, I, a lot of people jumped down my throat when I said this because they misinterpreted what I said. But originally, I said I think that the Red Sox could do better. Uh, what I meant by that was um, I think that they could have put together a package with Cespedes as the centerpiece to have done better. I don't think that they could have done better for a one for one. And obviously, it wasn't a one for one. There was you know minor league pieces involved. But as far as you know, guys that are on your you know, 25-man roster, um, I think that, yeah, I think that they could have done better. But, um, again, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with having Porcello here. I think that, like I said before, he's very underrated. Um, the one concern that I have uh, beyond just looking at the numbers is I have a few Tiger fan friends that they've all kind of said the same thing and they don't know each other, so it's kind of concerning to me. Where they've all been like, well, there's a reason why he's never been a factor in any of our, any of our postseason runs, and I just I don't know I don't know how to take that, <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> yeah. It is true. He's never really been a factor, um, so that's why you know I, I I hope the Red Sox aren't done in terms of adding to the rotation. Um, I, I you know I like Porcello as a piece in this rotation, but am I going to count on him to anchor it? I don't know. I mean, we really don't know right now. Uh, you know, it's not going to be Buckholz. Um, Better not be Buckholz. Exactly. And I, I, I know people were jumping down my throat on this too. And I was like, yeah, if, if, if the season started today, Buckholz is your opening day starter. And everyone's like, why not Porcello? And it's like, well, I mean, seniority plays a big factor into the rotation on opening day. And I think that, you know, especially around here. Exactly. Yeah. History shows <laughs> that too. So, um, but yeah, I think that there's, there's pieces in a need and there's availability, which is a perfect storm for another piece to be added to this rotation. But um, the the general sense that I get is that um, they're okay with going into the season with the rotation as it is, but mm-hmm. they're open to doing something if, if it makes sense for them. I don't think that they're in a position now where they're going to make a panic move to bolster the rotation yeah i don't i think they're pretty they seem set where they are um i if buckles is their number one throughout the season i'm gonna stop watching that's not <laughs> true i'll probably i'll probably watch anyway i watched last year so I, I think i can watch but um 
the big thing I'm curious about, obviously Justin Masterson's coming back on $9.5 million. They came out and said he's going to be a starter. Um, but Wade Miley is the interesting one for me. You got rid of Ruby De La Rosa and Alan Webster. Uh, there was a third one in there, too. It was a smaller guy. I don't remember who it was. But um, the big one for a lot of people, and I've seen this a lot, a lot of places I've read up on with comments and on Facebook threads and stuff like that, people didn't want to get rid of Ruby De La Rosa. I, I'm kind of okay with it. Um, as far as getting rid of him, like... Well, for what they got back. Yeah, yeah. Considering I'm, I'm okay what they needed. With, with not having him, but I mean, I, he's not a guy... Like, Webster is a guy where it's like, okay, um, he's he's had his time in the minor leagues, like, he doesn't need any more seasoning, and then he comes to the major league level, and he is what he is. He's not very good. Um, mm-hmm. De La Rosa is a guy who has been mentored by Pedro Martinez, so <laughs> there's obviously yeah, a true. value in that there in, in its own right. Um, great makeup, and yeah, I mean, I, I think that he could have been a very valuable bullpen piece, but, you know, when you look at that rotation prior to getting Miley, there wasn't one single guy in that rotation who had ever thrown 200 innings at any point in their career. So now you get Miley, who has thrown 200 innings, or at least 198 innings over the last three years, 200 at least over the last two, um, so yeah, they they needed a guy that they could count on to you know give them some innings. So I mean, I don't really have a problem with giving up a guy like De La Rosa, who I'm assuming would have been a bullpen piece next year. You know, giving you 60, 70 innings for a guy that gives you 200. Like I'll you know I'll make that switch. Yeah, no, I I agree, especially what they needed. Um, do you like them bringing back Masterson? I know I've talked about it a lot in the show as well with other people, but um, it seemed like it was kind of a no-brainer for the Red Sox to push back and go get him. Yeah, I, I was saying that pretty much from the beginning of the offseason, you know, especially given the way that I was just getting the vibe that Lester wasn't coming back at all. I think I don't remember if the last time I was on here if I said that. Um, but, yeah, I was pretty much getting that sense that he wasn't coming back, and I was just like, go out and get Justin Masterson because he's probably going to be – you know, a low risk, high reward guy because he was an all star in 2013 and he was hurt last year. It wasn't just being ineffective; he was hurt. Um, he's familiar with being, you know, at in the Red Sox organization. He was a guy that really liked being here. I believe he like the Nets and cameras caught him crying when he was told that he got traded for was it Victor Martinez in 2009? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. He cried when he was told that he was leaving this organization. Um, and, yeah, I pretty much almost nailed what the offer was. I don't know if you saw that tweet, but it was like someone had asked me, what's your best guess? And I said uh, like $8 million with incentives to bring it up to 12 based on innings. Yep. And it ended mm-hmm. up being 9.5 with incentives to bring it up to 12. So, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much exactly what I would have done is, you know, if – you bring him in here on like a base that isn't going to kill you. And if he earns the rest of it, then he earns it. And it's a win-win for everybody. So yeah, I think, like you said, it's a no brainer. Uh, how are you, Jared? Uh, I just like to touch on a, a team around the AL East and the uh, Toronto Blue Jays. You know, they're a very intriguing team, uh, you know, with the addition of Donaldson. But to me, this team always just seems to lack that ace. You know, they always just seem to be that one pitcher away. Uh, do you see the Blue Jays playing any role in potentially getting a James Shields or a Cole Hamels? Do you think they'll uh, stay pretty firm during the season? I, I haven't really heard anything in regards to Hamels because I don't know what kind of pieces they're playing with over there. I don't really know their farm system too well. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, shields could be had by anyone right now. I don't. It's it hasn't been confirmed, and it's all just rumors. So take it with a grain of salt. But I heard that you know the Red Sox had made an, an offer, at least were thinking about making an offer to Shields, and it was somewhere in the neighborhood of five years, a hundred million. And I don't think that that will get it done ultimately, especially if the Dodgers are involved. Um, but if that's what it takes to sign a guy like Shields, I don't even know if I'm interested. But, you know, obviously the Blue Jays are trying to do something special over there, and they've gone for it, so to speak, in the last, you know, two years. So it wouldn't surprise me if they had to overpay for a guy like Shields. So especially now that, you know, there was <laughs> a month ago everyone was saying, yeah, there's no way the A's trade Donaldson, and then next thing you know he's he's going to Toronto. So, you know, obviously they're in a position where they're, quote-unquote going for it so it wouldn't surprise me yeah they're in a, a very good state now you know i just think the red sox uh rotation would be set up perfect to add a guy like shields but uh the second team i'd like to touch on is the uh, chicago white sox obviously making some big moves this offseason you know the gold glove first baseman in la roach adding uh samaja to compliment sale and you know the other day signing melky Brer to four years uh do you see them giving the tigers a run this year or do you see them you know kind of falling off pace um, I don't see them falling off pace. I kind of, even with what they have, I'm not exactly sold on them being contenders. I know that, uh, White Sox fans have <laughs> become very hostile on my Twitter feed recently because I was entertaining <laughs> the idea of the Red Sox trading for Chris Sale. And that wasn't anything where I came out and said, yes, the Red Sox will trade for Chris Sale. All I said was, the Red Sox are trying to trade for Chris Sale, which they were kicking the tires on him, and that's a fact. They, <laughs> they excuse me, they were making calls on Chris Sale, and that's pretty much where it ended. Was you know, um, obviously the Red Sox would have had to have put together a ridiculous package to get a guy like Sale, and now that they've made all these additions, I think it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 126 million dollars they committed this off season. So obviously they're trying, but. Um, I, you know, all due respect to what they're trying to do, I just don't see them, you know, being able to be better than the Tigers. I think that the Tigers are obviously the class of that division, um, but you know, still going to play 162 to figure that out. It's amazing, Jared, how fans can misinterpret one little thing we say well, and I, just I, jump all it's, over it's you. It's mostly just White Sox fans. Like they are so super Fair. sensitive. I literally. Fair. All I said was that the Red Sox were trying, and I got so many White Sox fans being like, you're crazy, you're an idiot, look at this idiot. Uh, they're making memes out of like my profile picture saying that I'm stupid. Uh-huh. I'm Give like, me a oh, break, they're yeah. White Sox fans. Yeah, yeah, right. They already have like that, uh, they're mental midgets, and they have that, uh, you know, that complex, that inferiority complex, and, you know, it is what it is. All right, I have one more thing to ask you, and it's, actually, I'll get two quick things, but Chase Headley signed today, Jared, four years, $52 million. Um, That's got to mean he's starting at third base, in my opinion, which moves Prado to second base. Where does this leave A-Rod? Because I think a lot of people are forgetting. I mean, I don't know how you can forget, but some people are forgetting that he's coming back this year. Yeah, I I don't know. I had this little conspiracy theory going today where I was just, Oh, I love these. These can be fun. Yeah, I love conspiracy I was, theories. Uh, I was just crunching the numbers, and I was like, the Yankees haven't really done anything this offseason besides commit to Headley. And they have all the money in the world, so are they kind of, you know, watching what they spend because they're honestly entertaining the idea of buying out A-Rod's contract and then releasing him? Because that's an option. Uh, You also have to remember that um, if A-Rod hits six more home runs 
to tie Willie Mays for the, uh, I think it's fourth all time on the home run list. Yeah. He gets a six million dollar mm-hmm. bonus. So he's, you know, he's already owed. I think it's either sixty. I read sixty one, but then Cots has him at sixty four. So either way, it's sixty something million dollars. So it could get around seventy million dollars total uh, within the first month of the season if he starts off hot. Um, but you save six million dollars if you just give him the sixty one or sixty four, whatever it is, uh, and then release him. So I don't know where does he fit in. Maybe he doesn't fit in anywhere. Is the answer to that question. I mean, if you're the Yankees, wouldn't you want a fresh start to just kind of distance yourself from that distraction and that circus? Because you're stuck with him. I believe it's three or four more years. I think it's three. Yeah, so, yeah, it, it is yeah. three. Yeah, so three more years, you're you're going to be stuck with this guy, or you could just buy him out for sixty-four million dollars and not have to pay him to break these fraudulent records. Um, yeah, I, I think that it's something that. <laughs> It's worth considering. I mean, it's it kind of sucks, but it's a sixty-something million dollar band-aid to rip off. But it's it's worth it, in my opinion. It's it's basically you pay him, and he probably comes back and sucks, or you pay him and he leaves, and you get a fresh start, which I would do because you got to get a fresh start at this point from all the crap that's happened with him. And now, obviously, Jeter's gone. You're trying to get rebuild the team. It's probably the better just to let him go. Right? Yeah. If somebody, someone will let him play. I'm sure. Th- that was the other thing that you know. After I was kind of talking about that is. Would anyone give him a chance after that? And, you know, I just – I can't see anyone even doing that because Bonds – if you look at Barry Bonds, what was it, yeah. 2007 was his last season, and he posted one of the best on-base percentages of his career, and he's like 75 <laughs> years old, and no teams <laughs> took a chance on him after that just because of the stigma that he brings and, you know, all yep. the stuff that he did. So I think that there's a real chance that if – I'm not going to say that they are, but if the Yankees bought out A-Rod, no one is going to take a chance on that guy because how could you justify that to your fan base after a guy that was injured the last three years before being suspended for an entire year is now 39 years old and is like, you know, obviously the biggest villain since Barry Bonds in in professional sports. So who or what team is going to bring that guy in to that, your clubhouse? They would have to be very desperate. It probably wouldn't happen. Yeah, I, that, that's what I think, <laughs> is that if he were to get his contract bought out today, I, I think that he's played his last game in Major League Baseball. Wouldn't surprise me. All right, one more quick thing, Jared. Uh, obviously, we had a crazy winter meetings with Matt Kemp being traded, Jimmy Rollins leaving the Phillies, um, Howie Kendrick as well going to the Dodgers with Jimmy Rollins. Who, do you, who was the biggest winner of the craziest winter meetings I've like ever seen in my lifetime? Oh, that's a good question. Um... Uh, it's probably a biased answer, but I'm going to have to say the Cubs. I mean, they're, I believe in what Theo Epstein is trying to do over there. Um, basically, because it's not, it's not the, the way that he's going about doing it is, is it's the right way, but it's not the way that's going to appeal to fans in the very beginning. Um, right when he was named general manager of the Red Sox and before, was it 2002? I think it was 2002. Um, <laughs> He basically said, I'm going to make this team into a drafting and a player development machine. And he did. And he supplemented it with free agents. Some of them, he got lucky, like Ortiz. Like he'll, I don't think he'll try and take credit and say, yeah, I knew what Ortiz would become. Um, but yeah, I mean, he drafted and developed guys and supplemented them with the right free agents. Guys that like Bill Miller, who, you know, no one knew who he was, and then he comes in here and wins a batting title and wins a World Series the next year. Um, and I think that he's just brought that same philosophy 
to uh, Chicago and getting a guy like John Lester is to me is the equivalent of when they got Kurt Schilling in 2004. Um, you just get a guy that's been there before. He's won before. He's not afraid of um, the whole we haven't won since the invention of the Ford Model T. Um, it was before the Ford Model T. I think T. it was the same year, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Was it the same yeah, year? They, they, I think they won in 1908, and I'm pretty sure that was the year that the Ford Model oh, T. Oh, true. That does sound, that does sound yeah. right, yeah. So, um, <laughs> that's sad. That's, that's really sad to think about. It is. It is. But, I mean, <laughs> if you're going to go out and get a guy who's not afraid to join an organization that was in last place last year um, and hasn't won a World Series since 1908 and is, is excited to be a part of something like that, like Schilling was in 04. Um, yeah, I think that you got to, you know, consider the Cubs the winners because that's just such a huge step in the right direction, what they're trying to build over there. And you got to tip your hat to Theo. Yeah, I definitely do. Cause we, we start here. He did the same exact thing here and he's just doing it yeah. there. Um, quick, how many wins did the Cubbies get this year? Uh, they finished what? 77 this past year. Uh, I don't know how many they won last year. I'll say, I'll say they win. 88 games next year. I don't think that they contend. There it is. Yeah, I don't think they contend in 2015, but 2016, 2017, like they're they're up and coming. I don't think that they're ready to compete right now as is, but um, I do think that they'll win more games than they lose. Yeah, uh, Cubs fans, you can wait one one extra year. You've waited forever. <laughs> yeah. You can wait next year. <laughs> yeah, they'll, they'll still be there in 2016, I promise. Trust, trust us Red Sox fans. Theo knows what he's doing. You'll be fine after 26. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, it's it's definitely a work in progress, but it's definitely a thing that Chicago Cubs fans should be happy about. Uh, maybe it'll bring some more heat back into the White Sox-Cubs rivalry games as that well. That would be nice. Because th- that's been lacking yep. for a few years now. Um, Jared, we appreciate you coming on again. Of course, again, congratulations on the Barstool gig. Um, Jared's Twitter handle, if you don't know it, is at Jared underscore Carabas. You can find his work on Twitter on Barstool. Um, Jared, we appreciate your time, and obviously we'll keep in touch. Awesome. Thank you very much for having me. Always a good time. Yeah, thanks, Jared. Take it easy. Yeah, you too. All right. That is, of course, Jared Carabas of Barstool Sports. Weird being able to say that now because he just got that promotion. But either way, that being said, again, we want to thank him for joining us. Uh, Nate, we got a lot to talk about here. Uh, Good interview again with Jared, but... um, that was probably one of the let's just start with here. That was probably one of the busiest winter meetings I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, I, it was very uh, busy winter meetings, and I know uh, lots of reporters gave uh, were saying it on TV. Uh, they were saying you know it was a hectic winter meetings, lots of action, you know, lots of deals happening at midnight. I know the John Lester deal happened around eleven o'clock, so um, I agree, very busy winter meetings. Uh, yeah, I, I remember I, I didn't get much sleep over the, during the winter meetings because as much as I'm not an official reporter and not getting everyone, I, I just am intrigued by all of it. And I like to know when it happens, and I didn't I didn't stay up. I didn't know when Lester was signed. I woke up to that, unfortunately, but that was an awful thing to wake up to um, because leading up to it, I was pretty convinced he was coming back, seeing all the signs and seeing the Red Sox up to 135. I thought that was good enough for Lester, but apparently it wasn't. Good hometown uh, discount. <laughs> I thought I honestly thought it was going to be good enough, but you got to think that if the Red Sox went to 145, 150, it might have been changing his tune a little bit, and he might be in a Red Sox uniform. And that's that's one thing that really bugs me is that ownership really blew it. Ownership blew this 100, percent and I don't think you can blame anyone but ownership. Lester's not in fault. He was looking after his family. Um, John Henry made the trips down to let Lester to, to talk to him. 
in my opinion, that's when he should have upped the offer even more. He should have said, okay, John, what's it going to take? What will you, what do you need to come back to Boston? We'll give it to you. That's what should have happened because there is no excuse in the world. Obviously, we're looking to move on, but there is no excuse for Lester not being back here because it's pathetic to me. This ownership group has the money. They've been spending through the roof. They've spent extra money than they needed to on Pablo Sandoval. They spent extra money on Hanley Ramirez to get him here. Now you can't justify spending an extra $15 million on, over the course of a six-year contract just to get your ace stud guy, your homegrown guy back here. No, they blew that one big time on my part. Um, they schmoozed him a little too much. You, you, you saw him talk. There was a quote that came out right when he got signed too, saying that he was kind of, he was, he's not 18 anymore and he doesn't need this schmoozing in the names of the scoreboards and he just needs to know what's going to be good for his family. And you know, Theo definitely came out and straight up realized that and said, okay, John, Chicago's good for your family. It's great for your never quit foundation and your family will love it here. And you're, it's, we're, we're all about taking care of your family as well as you. And you knew that's exactly what he wanted to hear. And I don't think the Red Sox really brought that up too much. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you, but I mean, I do think the Red Sox obviously could have gone higher, but you know, it, kind of in the similar range of the Giants. You know, the Giants were the high bidders in this whole sweepstakes, but you know, I, my heart went with Lester returning to Boston, but you know, my head went with, you know, what's Theo going to do? What's Theo going to say? Is he going to be behind back doors saying, you know, I was the guy who brought you into the league. You know, I was the guy who you won your first World Series with. I was the guy who did not trade you. You know, I stuck with you. This team traded you, you know. I think there was definitely some of that going uh, on with Theo Epstein, you know, kind of convincing John Lester, hey, it's time to move on. It's time to come to Chicago. It's time to get this done in the city of Chicago. But, um, you know, obviously it was intriguing when, uh, you know, they flew down to Atlanta to meet with him. But, um, you know, if the deal didn't happen then and there, I kind of, the longer this thing stretched out, you know, the worst opportunity the Red Sox did, uh, had, excuse me, to, uh, you know, bring back this stud. Yeah, no, I think that, I definitely agree in that sense that you got to think the longer it takes, the more Red Sox fans sweat it out and the more he swirls around in his head the ideas of, oh, well, do I want, I want to go back to the Red Sox, but the Chicago makes such a great offer, and I won't go to San Francisco, but Theo kept telling me all the right things. And The longer he couldn't decide, the longer his family and him talked about it, the more they realized that Red Sox probably weren't the best option for them at this point in his career. And I agree with Lester 100%. He made the right decision because the Red Sox blew it. And, man, would I have loved, Nate, to be a fly on the wall in that conversation <laughs> with uh, Theo Epstein and John Henry when down in Atlanta. But um, the Theo Epstein conversation, you know that Theo said, oh, they did it to me when I left. They, they didn't give me enough money. They undervalued me. I know exactly how you feel. I did The same thing happened to me. It's, it's crap. I don't. You shouldn't go back there. You deserve better. I know how it feels. I'm going to bring you a championship here in Chicago. We broke a curse there. I want to break a curse here. I want you to be a part of this. This is my plan. And he probably divulged the entire Cubs organization's plan right then and there to John Lester, saying, this is what the Cubs are planning to do between now and, like, 2017, and we're gonna, we plan on winning before the next four-year contract's up. We want you to be a part of it. We want you to come in and help us rebuild faster. You're the guy to help us do that. Like he said in the press conference today, John Lester is mature. John Lester gets that. He probably said to him, look, you're a mature guy now. You're, you're not 18 anymore. We want you to use that here for our young staff and help them mature the way you did. And you know right then and there, that's when Lester said, I love this, I'm coming here. Yeah, I, I agree with you even more. And, uh, you know, uh, people are saying, you know, he, he wants to go to Chicago to lose and stuff like that. But, you know, something that people don't remember is uh, looking back at last year, the Cubs actually finished higher than the Red Sox in the standings. So, you know, yes, they did. It, maybe it wasn't, can he win better in Boston? You know, that sort of decision. 
and maybe it was actually, you know, going with the money, going where he felt more comfortable, and, you know, going to a place where he, like Theo Epstein, can feel like that superstar status once the Cubs finally do break through, if they do break through. Yeah, um, I do think the Cubs are going to break through, Nate. I'm, I think you agree with me, but I think they will break through. I think Theo, we try, I trust Theo because he did it here, and I know that he, ha- you know, he knows this game well enough that he can really build the Cubs back to what Cubs fans want it to be. Um, like I was saying to Jared, as, as towards the end of that interview, I really am excited for them to be better because I'd like to see the White Sox and the Cubs rivalry <laughs> in interleague play really good. It, it used to be great to watch, even just on like national games when they were on TV. You saw some great games between those two clubs, and I think the north side and south side of Chicago would, have, would love to be able to root against each other now because the last couple of years they, they both have been so bad that it really didn't even matter in the grand schemes of Major League Baseball. But now they're getting better. The Cubs are getting there. The White Sox are obviously making moves to get there. So I think John Lester is the first piece of a grand scheme of things for the Cubs. But I'm still – I don't know if I can really get over this in terms of I'll be able to move on and watch the Red Sox and I'll buy all the stuff. With, I'm going to go buy a Panda T-shirt and I'll, all this stuff. I get it. I'm going to move on. I'm a Red Sox fan. But – I don't know if I can ever take this one away from ownership and get that notch off their belt of being a terrible management of this whole situation. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, ownership screwed up. You know, they'll come out and they'll say they screwed up. But, you know, like I've been saying this whole time, it's time to move on and it's time to look forward to uh, next year's Red Sox. One thing I am impressed, though, Nate, before we do move on with this, because I know we have a point to talk about. We have plenty to talk about. But I am impressed that ownership actually came out and did say they messed yeah. up. Because the history of this ownership, you wouldn't think they'd ever do that. <laughs> no. You know, like everything we've seen with them since they took on the team, they want to – here, buy a brick. Don't worry about what we're doing in the baseball <laughs> side. Just make, give us some more money. Do this and do that. Oh, look, we signed the panda. Don't care how much we're paying him. Just buy Our more t-shirts. panda stuffed animals. <laughs> exactly. So I'm shocked that they came out and said, yeah, we made a mistake. We messed this one up. Yeah, I'm, I'm shocked too. But, you know, there were so many people calling them out and saying, you know, if they, re- they really can't come out and say they screwed this one up. You know, they got a few screws loose in their head, you know. <laughs> yeah, Lucino may have to look to find a job somewhere else because it was quite obvious they screwed this up from the get-go with the four-year, $70 million offer. But, you know, you got to think, is it just because they didn't, you know, really get what John Lester's market was going to be and comparable uh, compared him to Beckett, but I don't want to hear that baloney comparing him to Beckett. Beckett was coming off one of the worst years of his career, you know. They were, th- that contract to Beckett, the four-year $68 million deal, shouldn't have even been mentioned in any conversations they had with Lester whatsoever, you know. Uh, they should have started that, excuse me, four years and around $100 million and, you know, went up from there if they had to add that fifth year, you know. Uh, that have to put it in there, but uh, they screwed up big time, and you know I'm just happy they admitted it, and uh, you know it's time to move on and see what uh, type of team they'll build. Time to move on it is, and they have started moving on. Uh, obviously, we talked about it, busy winter meetings. Um, I, my phone was pretty going nonstop for that couple hours where they just kept reporting more and more things, whether it was other deals in, with the Dodgers and the White Sox or all the three pitchings that the pitchers that the Red Sox brought in. Twitter was going crazy for a couple hours during the winter meetings and throughout the winter meetings. And obviously the big one is Justin Masterson, Wade Miley, and uh, Rick Porcello coming to Boston next year. Um, they're working on – the Red Sox clearly wanted to get guys who could eat up some innings, and that's a big deal because last year they didn't have that. And they, if you have a guys who can eat up innings, that means for me anyway, Nate, I think they're switching to the philosophy of let's get a guy like maybe James Shields-esh. I'm not saying him exactly, but now he would fit perfectly for what they're doing. Um, 
get a guy like that to lead the rotation and then get a strong bullpen and really only have to worry about the 7th, 8th, and ninth inning. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I, I do think Shields would slot perfectly into this rotation. Uh, now, as you probably know, I'm not the biggest James Shields ace-type guy, but you know. Oh, really? I never would have guessed. <laughs> you know, I think some people are starting to agree with me now, you know, that I look on Twitter. But, you know, I, as I look at this rotation with Buckles, Porcello, and Miley, uh, the reason I think Shield will fit perfectly in is because you put him into this rotation, and it's not all on him. You know, I love the Porcello edition, and I love the Miley edition. Two, uh, two all-star type pitchers, you know, you can roll with the hot hand entering the postseason. And, you know, it's just not that one-guy show, kind of like it was in Kansas City. Uh, all the pressure was on him and you know quite frankly he cracked under the pressure and I'm not blaming that loss on him but you know I, I like the rotation this team's forming and I think Clay Buckholtz barring the 12 starts he's gonna miss is going to be a pretty good pitch this year and I, I do think he'll bounce back you know I, I did uh, know the bullpen coach actually he's a native of uh, where I live East Bridgewater and um, you know he said Clay Buckholtz uh, uh, out of all the Red Sox pitchers has the best stuff he has the best mechanics but you know quite frankly he he just can't stay healthy and you know his attitude gets to him on the mound sometimes and uh, you know we see it watching the games you know he just looks like he doesn't want to be out there similar to what Josh Beckett used to do so this mm -hmm. staff is very intriguing and I do think they're going to be better than a lot of people are giving them credit for and I love Joe Kelly as the five starter I just love it I think there's a big problem when you have a guy who is going to be your opening day starter who's a mental case like Clay Buckholz is. That's my big issue. Um, but, but I've also seen that he could do it here. He's pitched well. He's pitched great games here. So um, I'm okay with it. I think you're going to see him be the number one starter. If they don't do anything right now, he will be your at least opening day starter. I don't know if you want to put it quote-unquote your number one starter, but if they don't do anything else, they'll definitely be the opening day starter based on seniority and how the Red Sox run things around here. They'll definitely give him the nod for that. Um, but you know, you might not even see Joe Kelly here next year because if if you if you do make potentially do that do the Hamels deal, Joe Kelly's probably going to be involved now, but they don't need him as much. Um, but right now, your rotation is probably going to be Buckholz, Porcello. Um, I would go Wade Miley, Masterson, and then Joe Kelly, or you could even argue flipping Masterson and Wade Miley. But um, it's not a terrible rotation to say the least. I think it's mediocre but it's not awful and you, you made a step up because last year your rotation was awful after you traded everyone away um obviously the young guys were doing their best but they just weren't capable of winning games and now you're adding a wade miley you're adding a great lefty in the rotation you're adding porcello who i think is underrated as much as detroit tigers fans jared was saying how what they, they might say oh well he wasn't really involved in our postseason success well I'm, I'm going to give him a little more credit until I see when I see it here because I think with a great with a staff based on pitching and a staff focused on having great pitching, I think Porcello is going to get a lot out of pitching in Boston. Um, he's definitely a ground ball pitcher, which will help. Um, but I think the biggest thing for me is the Wade Miley addition. You get a lefty; it's not a lesser quality, but you get a lefty in the rotation. And I wouldn't even be surprised if you potentially by September maybe see Henry Owens up here pitching in that five slot, adding a second lefty to rotation. So. I think they're going in the right direction. They're eating up a lot of innings. Um, and, Nate, you also have to think, Masterson signed here for 9.5, up to 12 with incentives. If he can, And he's climbing out, and he's been claiming um, it's all injury. Everything last year was injury issues. He feels fine. He expects to come back to pitch the way he did in Cleveland before he got hurt. If that's the case, I'm liking that even more. Yeah, I, I like uh, the Masterson edition now more that I look into it. You know, he's a low-risk, high-reward guy. And, you know, as I start to look at the rotation, you know, they, they got two former uh, 
St. Louis Cardinals in the rotation, Masterson and Kelly. So, you know, that that catches my eye. The, uh, the back end of the rotation with two of the former Cardinals, you know, uh, all these Cardinals pitchers, you know, whether they were brought up in the system or whether they were acquired in a trade, you know, they always seem to pan out pretty good, you know. Um, I, I do think Masterson's going to have a good year, you know, probably give you around a 3-9 to 4 ERA, but, you know, out of a four-starter, I, I will take that, you know. He's not your prototypical four-starter. He's more of a five guy, but, you know, he, he, I expect him to have a pretty good year, and, you know, he'll get more money next offseason. But what's what I find interesting about Porcello is I don't think he'll be back in the Red Sox. I th- I just see this guy taking off this year. I see him having an incredible year. He's a ground ball pitcher. He's got a great infield. You know, he's got Sandoval, uh, arguably Gold Glover at third base. You know, solid up the middle with Pedroia. You know, Bogarts is kind of a work in progress, but he'll get mm-hmm. there. And, you know, Napoli almost won the Gold Glove a few years ago at first base. I mean, you know, this team set up well for Porcello, and what people forget is Christian Vasquez behind the plate, you know, he's one of the best uh, signal callers in the MLB, you know, Lester gave him credit, and uh, Lackey gave him credit, and I just see this this rotation being much better than people expect, and I, uh, at the end of the year, I do see Porcello pitching into that, you know, kind of quote-unquote ace status, if there is one. <laughs> yeah, nowadays, who knows what an ace is, but uh, I think Por- Porcello is going to be good this year, I think. I think his value is um, – it was pretty good coming in, obviously, with the trade. I think that the Red Sox kind of got what they were expecting out of the Cespedes deal, trading Cespedes. Um, I think, Nate, I think they got as much as they could for Cespedes, in my opinion. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know if they got as much as they could. You know, they were talking to Cincinnati, and uh, a deal I would have loved to see happen was obviously the Johnny Cueto deal. I think if you really pushed, the, uh, pushed Cincinnati, you could have gotten Johnny Cueto. I know they were having a fire sale with pitchers. You know, they had four guys with their with their uh, contracts up at the end of the season. I just think a little better offer to Cincinnati with, uh, you know, Castillo and maybe including a young arm like Renato and even a Joe Kelly could have landed Cueto. But, you know, at the end of the day, it didn't. And I just... You know, the Porcello for Cespedes deal, I think, I like Jared, uh, I agree with him. You know, you could have used Cespedes as a package and, you know, maybe included another guy in that deal. But at the end of the day, I'm satisfied with the deal. And uh, I was very, uh, I know I was in class, math class, my friend said, what would you think if the Sox traded Cespedes for Porcello? And I said, I'd, I'd be just, you know, incredibly happy because they needed that, uh, you know, arm in that rotation to give them innings and when he told me they did you know I was I was all happy so you know I like the rotation yeah I think it's a good deal um Porcello has pitched an average of like 195 196 innings over the last three years and two of those years have been like I'm pretty sure two of those years have been plus 200 at least one of them has been plus 200 innings so and Wade Miley includes in that as well so definitely inning eaters for sure coming into this rotation um if you do get a guy like Shields I would really love that as well now even more than I already did before because now he really fits in you have guys behind him to support him and really fit in I think Ben Sherrington knows what he's doing he's got the base work and the foundation laying down right now in this rotation and now he just got to worry about that guy for the next few years who they're going to get um you were saying Porcello might not be here in a year after next I'm I have to agree because especially because one if he if he pitches well especially but you got to think of all the guys who are going to be free agents the year after um and Jordan Zimmerman included you got to think the Red Sox might be targeting a free agent pitcher that year if they can't get any of those guys they want now. Um, I know David Price is a free agent as well in that year. I know the Red Sox obviously are still, I think, are still talking to 
the Washington Nationals. As much as I've seen and read that they still are interested in Jordan Zimmerman, so that could possibly still happen as well. Um, and obviously, now having the flexibility of being able to trade a Joe Kelly gives you more uh, trade value to your team, whether you get more a few more prospects out there as well as getting rid of Joe Kelly to put a Jordan Zimmerman, a Cole Hamels at the top of the rotation. And that would be the ideal situation for me, Nate, is obviously Jordan Zimmerman is going to be a free agent next year, so it'd be tough for me to swallow it, but I think that would be the better situation. And then I think you can convince Jordan Zimmerman to stay here long term um, easier than you could have convinced Cespedes to stay. Easier, obviously Cole Hamels has the option and stuff like that, but I think Jordan Zimmerman it was a great, would be a great idea, and I think it's worth the risk of him being under a contract just for the rest of this season, upcoming season. So I think that would be, for me, the number one goal for this team to pursue for, until spring training rolls around, really. Yeah, I definitely uh, could see a Jordan Zimmerman fitting in. But, you know, a guy I, I could see them still making another trade for is, uh, you know, with Milwaukee for a guy like Kyle Loesch. You know, I know Milwaukee mm-hmm. was doing background uh, checks on uh, Alan Craig. And, you know, a deal with, you know, a Craig and Anthony Renato or maybe a Joe Kelly. I think could land a guy like Kyle Loesch, and again, he's uh, he was brought up in the Cardinals organization. You know, he's a good young pitcher, and I, I would be satisfied with having Kyle Loesch. You know, I, I'd look at him and Porcello, and you know, the, uh, very similar pitchers, and you know, those are two above average uh, threes or average two pitchers, in my opinion. And you know, the deeper you can get this rotation, and the more innings you can get out of these guys, you know really takes the tax off the bullpen, and you don't have to go out and get a guy like Luke Gregerson like Houston was doing. You can just build a bullpen from within and uh, the prospects you have. So I like Kyle Loesch and, uh, or Zimmerman, as you mentioned, but, you know, I do see them adding one more piece to this rotation before we hit spring training or in spring training. Then they'll figure out they need the uh, piece, but I don't see them going into next season with this exact rotation. I can't. They did this so early, Nate, that I can't see them saying, "Okay, it's before Christmas, we're done." It's too. It's too early for me to think that. Um, I was reading an article on ESPN that's right in front of me, and one thing I want to be weary of too. And I, I went through and tracked this too. Is that Porcello is really good in May? I looked at his numbers in May. It's ridiculous. He is 18 and seven in the month of May with a 3.23 ERA. Every other month of his career, he's 58 and 56 combined with a 4.53 ERA. For some reason, he likes the month of May. I don't know. So Red Sox fans, when May comes around and he starts pitching well, you're going to go crazy. You're going to go nuts. Don't, don't be surprised if he starts tapering off towards the middle of the end of the season. Just don't, don't be surprised. But that could change. We could, Red Sox staff could be changing things. But um, that being said, I do, I do love the acquisition so far. Obviously, James Shields is still, I think, the best option in terms of not giving up anything for free agency. And you get just... They've been doing as much as they could through free agency, and they have done well with that. So that would be the best option if you go that route. If you're okay with trading prospects, I would get Jordan Zimmerman, not Cole Hamels. Um, Cole Hamels is just too much of a value at his age. Jordan Zimmerman's a little younger, and I think his value is still growing, and I think his ceiling is still getting higher. He might pay a little more next year, but at least you get a free, cheaper year out of him this year. So I think that would be the best option if you want to go trade route. Obviously, you can if you hit Alan Craig's team's interest, you can also go that route as well. So there's plenty of options for the Red Sox to do it deal some starters and deal some prospects to get better starters in return. So I think the Red Sox are in a pretty good position coming out of the winter meetings um, and I think are looking good to be primed to kind of get back up there in the AL East this upcoming season, especially because the AL East is going to take another hit because I don't see the Yankees getting much better than they were last year, especially where they also dealt Rob, they also let Robertson walk, um, clearly banking on Andrew Miller. They uh, Orioles are clearly taking a hit, losing everybody and anybody that wants to leave. Um, 
Blue Jays haven't proven anything to me yet, so I don't really count them in. And then, of course, the Rays aren't going to be good at all because they're clearly in a rebuild and don't even have a manager. So I think the Red Sox are primed to kind of come in here and probably be the favorites coming into the season to win the ALEs, which is shocking to me just because it's amazing how bad it was last year. Um, they can turn around that quickly, which we've seen it happen. So they'll probably be the favorites going into this year. Winter meetings were just as crazy as not just for the Red Sox, but for everybody else as well. Uh, bigger signings for me, Padres getting Matt Kemp, which we kind of saw coming, riding on the wall for the for the Dodgers outfielder who kind of became the fourth outfielder, became the odd man out. Dodgers, though, got Jimmy Rollins, longtime Philly, um, finally out of that. Clearly, Phillies want to rebuild, getting rid of Jimmy Rollins. Howie Kendrick signing with the Dodgers, no longer an angel. Um, Chase Headley signing today, four years, $52 million for the Yankees. So there's a lot been going on, Nate. Um, I kind of want to get your thoughts on these things. What do you think of I'm I I, I going to go Matt Kemp route because it, they're calling it a blockbuster, but everyone everyone in the baseball world saw Matt Kemp coming. We all knew he was going to get dealt. But what do you think of the Dodgers getting Jimmy Rollins and Howie Kendrick? Because that's I think those are sneaky two sneaky pickups that people are kind of kind of forget because of Lester and Kemp and all these trades are going to happen later in the year during later in the offseason. But I think those are two really sneaky pickups for the Dodgers to kind of get better, get better, and improve on where they were last year. Yeah, they are sneaky pickups, and you know something they do is you know shore up the middle of the infield, and you know I think that's something the uh, Dodgers definitely wanted to do coming into the season, and you know they got two very good defensive uh, players, you know power hitting second baseman, so that definitely shores up their needs, and you know to get rid of a Matt Kemp, you know an excess outfielder, you know it's got to feel good to see his contract coming off the books. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I think it's it's awesome that the Dodgers basically are get, basically got a new middle infield, so that'll help their defense a lot. I think both of those players are phenomenal defensive players. Jimmy Rollins wants to win again, and obviously wasn't going to do that in Philly. So I think it's a good good um, situation for him as well. Uh, White Sox signed Melky Cabrera today, I believe. That's everything that. Do you know? Do you have the contract? I don't have it up in front of me. I think but, it's um, around four years and forty eight or fifty two in that area. It's around there, I think, yeah. So I, I think the White Sox, it was a good deal for the White Sox. He was rumored, and clearly we all thought, I thought anyway, was a favorite to go to uh, Seattle and follow Nelson Cruz, but he White Sox picked him up, and the White Sox are going to be good next year, Nate, I think. Yeah, I, the White Sox definitely improved that team, you know, adding a gold glove first baseman and LaRoche, adding a very formidable two-starter, very good outfielder. Uh, you know, they're trending in the right direction, and I do see them winning the Central next year. They are definitely my pick. If the season started today to, you know, win that division, yeah, just the additions, I think they were the uh, winner of the winter meetings by far. Yeah, I think I think they were too. Um, a lot of people might pick to the, throw themselves at the Dodgers for the big winners or Padre just for getting Matt Camp, maybe even the Red Sox for doing what they could or the Cubs for getting – there's a lot of options for best um, winner of the winter meetings, but I think the White Sox really did as much as they could and improved their roster substantially over the couple days that everyone was out there in San Diego. Um I think I think it's going to be very tight between them and the Tigers now. I think they really just closed the gap in, within a one-off season, which is phenomenal. And I think it's a good thing for baseball to get more con- competition against the Tigers, who have been consistently good but haven't been able to win. Um, feels like a certain football team around here in New England. Uh, but they, they've been very consistent. They've been very good. And they just need to, that final piece. Um, obviously good on them to add Cespedes because they lost Torrey Hunter to the Minnesota Twins. Um, He's going back there, obviously, probably to finish his career there where he was before. So that's obviously a nice addition for them. Um, one thing I want to get your opinion on, Nate, too, is obviously Chase Headley signed today four years, $52 million with the Yankees. I asked Jared about this, too, and 
I, I kind of agree with him on this, but A-Rod's kind of slowly losing his spot, if not already lost his starting spot at their base um, due to everything he had to deal with at the steroids last year, not playing. But I think that it seems like the Yankees are consistently okay with going with Chase Headley as their starting third baseman opening day. Yeah, I I do agree. Um, you know, Chase Headley gives them a good option at third base, you know, middle of the order bat uh, plus defender. And, you know, A-Rod's kind of lost his range at third base and you know looking he just has never really been the best third baseman defensively and um you know i could see them buying out his contract you know really starting fresh and moving on from that big salary and uh you know getting back into it next season uh that is of course if this team does not get sold which is also a rumor that's been popping up and i don't even want to see the value of this team because they will get sold they will get sold for a lot of money yeah, no, if they get sold, which I have, I do agree, I've, I've been seeing those rumors around here uh, on the Twitter sphere and everywhere, they, if they got sold, it would be worth a lot of money. It wouldn't even be funny. Um, I don't think they should get sold, but they could. Um, but, yeah, no, Nate, it's, it's been a crazy winter meetings, and I'm honestly just, I'm, I'm intrigued to see what happens next where the big chip falls. Um, just, Nate, where do you think Cole Hamels ends up if he gets traded at all? Uh, the Dodgers, I'd have to say. Dodgers? That would be insane. Oh, yes, that, that rotation and, can get better. <laughs> that would be a much, obviously, improved help. Cole Hamill's going to the Dodgers if that was to be the case. I'm saying if. That is, that's not happening. Fans, don't get crazy on me. Um, if that was to happen, then that would be, uh, obviously, nice bolster to get some pressure off of Kershaw out there. But um, that being said, obviously, again, I want to thank Jerry Carabas for coming on today. Uh, good chat with him. Uh, obviously, again, congrats to him on the barstool um, position there. Uh, Definitely hard to write for Barstool, but if you can do it, it's a great gig. A lot of people read it, but uh, myself included, I'm a I'm a stoolie. I can say that to myself. But um, great winter meetings. Also, Red Sox added three starting pitchers for depth and in innings. Uh, lots to talk about. We got through a lot of it. John Lester press conference today was sad and upsetting and all that good stuff, but it would definitely uh, made us feel a little a little eerie, but really had us realize that it definitely was happening and it's it's a thing. Red uh, Lester is a member of the Cubs, wearing number 34. Mind you, um, definitely have to pick up myself a nice little cubby T-shirt with a little Lester on the back of it because that's going to have to happen. But uh, that being said, fans obviously don't want don't want you to forget, and obviously I will keep you reminding you that uh, we have released our mobile app. So you obviously want to go check that out. Go to the Google Play Store or the Apple uh, App Store, or you can go to cnsradio.com backslash iOS free or cnsradio.com backslash Android if you want to do it through the browser. Um, your internet browser, and you can do it that way as well. Obviously, all of our podcasts, post-game shows, all that stuff's up there. It's great content. It's up as soon as it's done, so definitely go check that out. Um, that being said, obviously, another great week with Nate Rollins here uh, on Red Sox Beat. A lot to talk about. Winter meetings ended. Lester now a Cub. Who knows what's going to happen between next week? Who knows what the Red Sox are going to do, if anything, by next week? But until next week, my name is Jared Kelly. Again, of course, always, most of the time, joined by Nathan Rollins. I um, hope you enjoyed this week of Red Sox B and the winter meetings. Uh, obviously, stay with us for all the update stuff we can get you uh, for your teams and all that stuff. So follow us here. Follow us on Twitter, on Facebook. Obviously, just check out CLNSRadio.com as well. And all of our content will be published up there. So until next week for Red Sox B, have a good week, everyone. Enjoy more MLB Hot Stove. And uh, good luck to all of you and your fantasy football playoffs.